Hello and uh, welcome to the Wageningen Alternative Protein Podcast. I'm Hannes and I'm a food technology master's student here at Wageningen University. And I'm Joel. I'm a master's student in nutrition and health also at the WUR. Hannes and I will be your hosts for today's episode. And today's guest is Abigail Thiel. She is um, a postdoctoral researcher here at the WUR. We will be talking about Abby's current research, blend-based cheese alternatives, recombinant proteins and her YouTube channel. Hello and welcome, uh, Abby. Um, pleasure to have you here today, or should I say, Abby, the food scientist. Um, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Abby Thiel, and I, I'm a researcher at Wageningen University. I mainly work on the uh, dairy team, so any dairy science-related topics. Uh, and I also uh, love communicating food science, so I have sort of a hobby uh, YouTube channel where I just make videos exploring different food science topics for the public. Yeah, talking about your YouTube channel, um, I think... It would be interesting for our listeners that uh, you have a lot of different topics, not only very in detail scientific uh, topics, but also everything around uh, food technology and what is related to it. So I can very much recommend uh, having a look at uh, Abby's YouTube channel. And how did you get the idea to start a YouTube channel on this specific topic? Yes, so it actually was not my idea, I think. People assume I came up with it, but actually it was uh, my boyfriend's idea. And so when we met, I was still a PhD student in food science. He had just gotten his PhD in biochemistry. And uh, when we first met, I was like, oh, I'm a food scientist. And as usual, people are like, what? <laughs> what? That's an option. Uh, so and there's a lot of similar similarities between biochemistry and food science. And so my boyfriend was like, wow, you have like such an interesting specialty. You know, food impacts everyone, but no one, you know, sees the science behind it. You like you need to share this. And I thought that was like a little crazy, like. I mean, the last year of my PhD, right? I'm just trying to like grind through this last year and he's trying to get me like do th these like extra projects, like, you know, make videos and there's no reason I should have, like I had no experience in editing videos, making videos. Um, but but I, it was an interesting idea to me because I had never heard of food science. I went to a university that had like a very well-known food science program, uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison. I was a student there and I didn't like the major I was in. And I found food science just by searching the university's website, looking at all the science majors, because I knew I wanted to do something science, but I, I, I didn't know what to do. And that's how I found food science. So that is very motivating to me is to spread the word about food science and career options and that sort of thing. But originally, it was really my boyfriend who had to talk me into actually taking action on this project. Sometimes it uh, needs someone to get you to see what uh, your capabilities you have. Um, that's really nice. And if you think of a topic, like how do you communicate or how do you decide what topics uh, to talk about? Yes. So the topics generally are just what I was reading about that week because I'm a nerd. So like after work, I just read about food in the news or like, you know, like do you get down like a rabbit hole on the internet? But what I think helps me make my YouTube videos is if I have a lot of experience teaching 
at colleges. So I actually will put on my like lecturer brain and be like, okay, in the video, in the beginning, I need like a hook. Like I need to express to the audience why this is important to them, which is exactly what I do in lecture, right? If I don't tell my students why they should learn this, why would they continue to listen to my lecture? Mm -hmm. So actually, I think teaching undergraduates for many years has been helpful because I also think, okay, this is a very complex food science topic. I need to stop and put like, think like a beginner. Like if when I was new to this topic, what did I not understand so that I can like break complex topics into tinier, like more digestible bits of information. So in a weird way, teaching at a university, I think directly helped me like make YouTube videos that are easier for like a general public to understand. Yeah, that makes completely sense. It's oh, really nice. Um, so what Joel mentioned earlier about recombinant proteins, that will be one theme today as well. And um, maybe first of all, could you explain to the people that have the expertise in other fields and maybe not know about recombinant proteins, uh, what they are and then also how would you communicate Uh, topics about recombinant proteins to people that don't have this expertise? Yes. So one of the dairy research topics we're looking at is making recombinant milk proteins. But actually in this project, we rarely say recombinant. We usually will say like yeast made proteins because then a person immediately understands like where are these proteins coming from? Or you might say like microbial produced because in this project, instead of getting milk proteins from like a cow or a goat, we are actually giving uh, yeast cells, we're giving them the directions to make the cow's protein, say, to make milk protein. So I think it's a bit more obvious what the research is if you say yeast-made proteins. But really all this means is we use like microbial cells as little factories to produce the protein. That's really interesting. And I think uh, that is a topic that will become more and more uh, present to a lot more people. And um, maybe there the bridge to specifically products like cheese, for example. Um, what are the challenges here? And is there like um, a way to make uh, specially vegan uh, cheese? Because vegetarian cheese is most or sometimes they are vegetarian. But Is it possible to make a vegan cheese with these um, yeast-produced proteins? Yes, this is one of our big research projects right now is using these yeast-made proteins, the yeast-made uh, milk proteins. Once we have those, can we make them into a dairy product that is like nearly identical to dairy cheese? Like it has the same nutrition, has the same texture, it melts, and all of these are quite challenging. But we think that if we have the yeast make the identical milk protein, that we could use that and assemble it to make cheese, say. And because it's the identical protein, you would think that it will have the same properties of the cheese. So maybe if we make a mozzarella, we can get it to stretch very long and be pizza cheese. Or if we treat it like a Gouda cheese, um, it will sort of age and have the same flavor and texture of Gouda. So the idea that makes it a bit different than plant-based cheese is that we actually will have the same milk protein, where plant proteins are quite different than animal proteins. So in this way, using the yeast, we get the same protein, and then we can use that 
to make these dairy products. I think this uh, will give a lot of hope to a lot of vegans mm -hmm. because uh, at the moment the variety in vegan cheeses, uh, I think, lack a bit. Yes, I uh, in one of my dairy classes that I, I teach, I brought in uh, a real Gouda and a uh, like the plant-based Gouda, took away the packaging and had the students try each. This was a class of like 40 students. All of them knew which one was the real cheese. Like the, the properties and the flavor and the texture are just not, you can't match them yet with plant-based cheese. Yeah. Can imagine, yeah. Yeah. And also I think it's interesting that you mentioned that the um, protein, that the composition will be almost identical mm -hmm. to animal proteins. Like, is that one of the reasons why you slash the industry would choose to use the recombinant protein? And is like, does that add the value or are there other benefits that recombinant protein has in comparison to other plant-based alternatives? That's a very good question. So the idea behind using the identical uh, milk proteins, the real uh, casein proteins, is that we can make cheese that has a much higher protein content than the plant-based cheeses. Um, because if you buy one of those plant-based cheeses and you look at the nutrition um, and the ingredients, the main ingredients in plant-based cheese tends to be starch and a little bit of protein, maybe pea protein or soy protein. But actually, this is a very minuscule protein content compared to dairy cheese, which has actually quite a bit of protein in it. So plant-based cheeses, if you try them, they're, they seem pretty inferior in taste and flavor and texture, but also the nutrition protein wise especially is much lower in these plant-based products and that's and that's what we're hoping with this um yeast made casein is we'll have a higher protein content more like you know cheese made from cow's milk um and it will have the same functional properties like melting and and taste in that yeah and <clears throat> i'm sorry and then also regarding the amino acid composition i think it's a super valuable thing as if it would have almost the identical or the complete amino acid profile that would also add benefit to that and then next to the to the composition and the flavor and the texture i think that's super interesting Right. And in general, like a good general rule is usually animal made proteins more reflect our nutritional requirements as humans. Plant based proteins uh, are usually just not digested, uh, you know, at, as, uh, at a higher at a higher amount. Animal based proteins more have the amino acids we need. So that would be another benefit of using this yeast made casein. Yeah. Are you also looking into the digestibility of this product in comparison to the other products or regarding the research that you're doing? We actually have a PhD student. Well, we have several on this project, but one of the PhD students will run a whole bunch of digestion studies because, of course, you could think theoretically, yeah, we're making this yeast-made protein. It's identical to uh, the cow's made protein. You would think, yeah, it should 
digest the same, but we actually don't know that yet. And there could be differences. So part of uh, this PhD's research will be taking, okay, we have the yeast made protein, we have the protein from cow's milk, and she will uh, simulate digestion. So she will do a study where she takes both proteins, she um, lowers the pH or adds a lot of acid because our stomach is very acidic, and she will add some digestive enzymes that sort of are able to cut up the protein and digest it. And so in this way, she will stimulate uh, or simulate the stomach. And after uh, that, we can then measure, well, how much of the protein was cut up or is more available for our body to use. Uh, We can measure in different ways how well was it digested. And even after that, you can then subject it to the digestion of your intestine, right? So we, we will be doing these studies because, like I said, we think they should be very, very similar, but this is something we don't actually know yet. Yeah, and I think it's a super cool, interesting, um, super interesting aspect that you are taking all these different things into consideration for the development of this product. So it's really like wholesome approach on uh, every aspect. That sounds quite intensive. Yes, and and for example, that is just. Uh, part of this PhD's work. Another aspect she's working on is uh, looking at these yeast-made caseins and seeing if they uh, assemble or coagulate to they form a gel, which is what we call cheese, because when we take milk and try to make it into a cheese, we have these casein proteins. They need to come together and form a network, like they need to link up with each other. And when they do that, we call that cheese but we also need to explore well will the yeast made casein do that same behavior to be made into cheese so it's really all these different aspects of the proteins behavior that we are testing it's really fascinating and maybe even adding another uh, aspect uh, of the whole alternative protein field is uh, the environmental impact because very often uh, this general Um, reasoning is used of saying, yeah, uh, alternative proteins are a lot better when it comes to carbon footprint because, uh, yeah, just raising all the cows or the the pigs for your proteins from animal sources has this um, reasoning that it's really bad for the environment, which in general is not wrong, but you do have to look also at the aspect of uh, processing. The more you process your uh, not animal-based proteins, the less environmental friendly it becomes. Is that something that you also look at while doing research on this? Yes. So we are lucky. We have a group of collaborators at Haas Green Academy, and this is their specialty. So we're collaborating with them, and they will do a whole life cycle assessment of, say, um, how the protein from cow's milk, how much resources does that take versus When we have this yeast-made protein, how much resource, energy, et cetera, does that take? And how do they compare? Is the yeast-made protein actually greener? And we are still working on this. And one thing I think that you bring up is a good point is that in general, people say, okay, the yeast-made protein is going to be greener. We're still doing those calculations, but there's no doubt that 
between like a farm and the seasmate protein, the resources used will be very different, right? So right now we have a bunch of cows on a farm. There's lots of land, that sort of resources. But if we move to the yeast-made proteins, what we need now is actually more hygienic factories or hygienic buildings. We need a lot of energy. We're going to be using, using a lot of stainless steel equipment, a lot of sterile conditions. So absolutely different resources will be used uh, more heavily depending what situation. Yeah, but that's really good that you're also looking into that because I think uh, having this um, label of environmental friendly um, and then making sure that can be proven with these uh, research as well into that, I find that very, very interesting. And just one more point to add to that is it's possible the technology could become greener over time if we think about, okay, the yeast, we gave them directions to make this milk protein, but it really depends at like what concentration do they produce this protein. So if we get the yeast and they produce one milligram per liter of this protein, okay, well, they are producing milk protein. That's pretty cool. But let's say then we get them to produce one gram per liter. So is as the yeast becomes more efficient, we figure out ways to get them to produce more of the protein, then we can actually sort of cut down some of the resources, right? We get a greater amount of the milk protein. I think we have to also remember always that this is quite a new field of research and uh, farming has been done for a bit longer than mm -hmm. this research is around. So I think it's has the potential to become even more efficient over time. I think that is something is safe to assume. Yeah, and it's only more lo only logical to have this constant development in the way you are approaching these things. Absolutely. So I have like I'm pretty fascinated by the nutritional aspect of like the product that you're developing. But I'm wondering like can the recombinant protein be used to improve the nutritional profile of dairy products for example like such as adding a beneficial bioactive peptide or something related to that? I think really if we can really nail down this recombinant technology The, a lot of doors will open. So, for example, we've really been focusing on cheese or, say, making cow's milk into cheese. But if we can make yeast make these milk proteins, this opens the door to making better infant formulas, say, because we can also ask get the yeast to make human milk proteins. And human milk has a very different nutritional profile than cow's milk, than goat milk, right? Human milk has things that stimulate a baby's immune system, help them digest the milk. So if we can make have the yeast make these different components of human milk, this would actually make an uh, infant formula much more similar than if an uh, infant was breastfed. Yeah, I think that's super cool that like that researchers are getting into that topic as well because it's often an underestimated thing that it's not the same and like infants like they would they would benefit from having breast milk, but it's not always possible for the mother to give the breast milk, for example. So I think it's only it can only add benefit to the health of a of a baby to have something in these terms like something more aligned with human milk, let's say. 
And I think it's very, it's very easy for people if they see a glass of cow's milk and a glass of goat's milk and a glass of a plant-based milk, they all are a white liquid. So it's like, oh, they're all, they're all milks or beverages. But if you are a food scientist, you see that those are actually all different in composition and protein content and how much of that protein can be used by our body. So, uh, you know, a glass of white liquid can have, be very different from one another. Exactly. Yeah, and um, maybe to add to that, because you just said that it really depends on where the source of the protein is. If you uh, have these yeasts produce your um, protein, is it also possible to adapt other things like thermostability, technofunctional uh, properties, like structuring uh, possibilities? That's Yes, so we could we could really I think there are unlimited options. You could get all different types of proteins um, if we could combine them in different combinations and really, you know, you could theoretically produce any protein and then assemble that into a variety of food products with different functions. Oh, but that, uh, I think, also gives a lot more questions for further research mm -hmm. and a lot more years on uh, kind of picking at all these different uh, yeah, details. Um, just maybe a general question, because we're talking about the recombinant proteins or the yeast-produced proteins, but why would, or do you have some pros and cons why the industry should use um, these yeast-based uh proteins if they have the real thing mm -hmm. apart from uh, maybe the environmental factors that we already discussed yes so i think it could be a really uh, good thing from an animal welfare perspective which i think is a reason that many people um, maybe don't eat meat or eat dairy um, i think the biggest downside that i could see from the yeast made protein that maybe a lot of people don't understand yet is that it would be quite processed and processed is uh, with regards to food is not uh, a very positive word because, you know, if we, if we make the protein from the yeast, it's not like all they produce is the protein and they hand us it on like a silver platter. So when the yeast make the protein, they make it in like this complex soupy mixture. It's like yeast cells, all the other metabolites, all the products, all the thing that are used to feed the yeast. And part of it is the protein that we want. But we have to then purify that protein from the soupy mixture. And to do that, we'll need different processes. And then we'll need different processes to um, use that protein and get it into a milk-like structure. So casein actually is in these big aggregates in milk. And we use those aggregates to make something like cheese or yogurt. So there are going to be several steps where this would be, it might, it would be considered like a processed food in a way. And I also feel like processed sometimes or often has like this negative undertone, mm -hmm. but it doesn't always need to be like that. And that's why I think yes. your research is so fascinating because you can have very bad or nutritionally non-interesting products when products are processed. But like if you do it in this approach and you like really take in consideration what benefits could be there and like the terms or the the amount that you process, like... I think that's there's a very broad aspect or a spectrum that can have difference in that. Yes, I think processed 
oftentimes is directly like correlated with negative. Yeah. But I agree. It doesn't necessarily mean that the food is inferior in nutrition or something like that. No. A lot of food is processed to keep us safe, to remove anti-nutritional factors, to make something more digestible. There are actually a lot of good reasons a food would be processed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, maybe also the safety aspect. Um, when it comes to regulatory parts, that is also sometimes a bit difficult topic, especially in certain regions of the world where Europe is one of the more cautious ones, which in a way is good, but on the other hand, sometimes drags um, progress. Do you think there will be a lot of issues with um, these caseins that are produced by yeast? So this is a very interesting topic to me as an American, because in the U.S., we have products already launched with like yeast made proteins. It, Americans are already eating it. And then I moved to Europe almost two years ago. And right, it's not available. It is not legal to put those proteins in food and sell them. So this this has been very intriguing. And I've learned a lot by being here. And it's definitely going to be much slower here um, because you have the European Union. So it's we're in the Netherlands, but it's not just the Netherlands who gets to decide, right? It's a whole, it's the whole European Union. Uh, so this is going to be a multi-year process. Uh, the good news is people are already starting this. Luckily, I will say it's not me because this is not, the regulatory isn't my favorite thing, but there are already people filling out the paperwork, talking talking to the EU, trying to get sort of everything in motion because the good news is right now we have time. We're still working on the technology. So hopefully by the time the technology is well-developed, also the regulatory will be passed is the idea because Yes, here it it is going to take a while. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, there's so much more that uh, we could go into with this topic. It's just for me at least, and uh, I think also for you to really, really uh, fascinating. But maybe one uh, question to uh, wrap this episode up a bit: um, Is there like a frequent question in the direction of all proteins that you get on your YouTube channel, and uh, how do you yeah an- answer that question? So I'm actually going to make a YouTube video about why vegan cheese tastes so bad, <laughs> which is related to your question. And it, it's, it all comes down to actually the protein in cheese. Not only does it make like the gel, like the texture or the meltability or the stretching, but it also is what results in like the flavor of cheese or partly the flavor. Because when a protein is chopped up into smaller pieces or amino acids, these smaller molecules are what gives us all these different flavors in cheese, like the complex flavor. And so I I have been toying with the idea of explaining on my YouTube channel why the flavor of vegan cheese is so terrible and not does not resemble real cheese. I think that's a really, really good uh, point and everyone should definitely listen in on uh, why that is the case. Yeah, an improvement can be made for sure. Yeah. So for Exactly. That Im- for that improvement, we can also go to Abby. So she explains to us uh, <laughs> what is wrong and how to fix it. <laughs> nice. Uh, Abby, thank you so much uh, for coming on and uh, yeah, explaining to us all these different aspects of, uh, of these casein um, proteins. Yes, it's been wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining us today. And um, yeah, I think it would be interesting to have you on the podcast another time. 
I would be more than happy to join. I'm sure there will be enough uh, questions that we can still ask you. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening in. This was the Wageningen Alternative Protein Podcast. And yeah, please follow us or send us uh, suggestions if you have a topic that you find interesting or that you would like to hear more about.